Today we're starting a month-long series when we're going to be looking at covenant. And covenant is a word that isn't really used very often. But it's actually because of covenant that we get the freedom that we can in Christ. Without covenant, there actually is no freedom. Without covenant, there is work and there is trial and there is trying to be right before God. But covenant is what actually brings freedom. So what I want to do is just talk to you about what covenant is, what the Bible talks about covenant. But the first thing we need to do is we need to know actually the big picture of the Bible. What actually is the Bible about? And I know, I feel like every time I've got up here the last three or four times I've been talking about the overall picture of the Bible. Um, But it's something that I think is so important to know and understand. And when it comes to covenant, if we don't understand what God is actually on about in the big picture, we actually will miss what he's on about in the details. And so the big picture of this whole book, the big picture of God, his intention is actually relationship. Right from the beginning in Genesis, God created man in his own image. He walked in the garden with man. He actually wanted to commune with man and for man to commune with him. It didn't actually work that way because sin entered the world. So because sin entered the world, God couldn't have anything to do with humans. And so the whole Bible tells us again and again and again, God so loves humankind that he wants to know them and wants them to be able to know him. And that is the whole story of the Bible. There's details in there, and, but that is the big picture of the Bible. Everywhere you read and everywhere you look, it is all about God saying, I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. And when it comes to covenant, that is what covenant is all about. It's actually about relationship. It's actually about being able to say, God and I actually know each other. Depending on who you talk to, depends on how many covenants they say is in the Bible. But what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to quickly talk about the five main covenants in the Bible and then focus on two of them. So these are the five main covenants of the Bible. So the first covenant is the covenant that God made with Noah. It was a covenant to never flood the earth again. That's why we have rainbows in the sky. God says to all mankind, I am never going to flood the earth again. And if you want to read about that, you'll find that Genesis 9, 8 to 17 is when the actual covenant part is. But if you read the, a few chapters before Genesis 9, you'll get the story of Noah and what God does in that time So God says, this is my covenant. I will never flood the earth again. The second covenant we get to in the Bible is the one with Abraham. And that's the one we're going to focus on a bit this morning. Um, But Abraham is all about God saying, hey, of everybody, I'm going to choose you, Abram. I want you to go to the land I'm sending you to. I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, everybody's going to be blessed. But we'll look at that in a bit more detail. But So that's the next time God says, okay, one person, I'm going to choose you. And from you, everybody's going to be blessed. And then from the line of Abraham, we get to Moses. And the Moses covenant is where God outlines to the Israelite people, to the nation, all the laws and all the ways that this covenant actually works itself. 
I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, this is how it's going to work. These are the laws that are going to be followed. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. And if you keep these laws and keep my commandments, then things will go well with you. Isn't that always the way? That the more people that you have, like the more rigid, like the more you have to actually spell stuff out. I think that's the way it also works with God and his covenants. The second one is the covenant with David. And this is where God reaffirms what he said to Abraham, what he says to the Israelite people, and he says to David, from you, all nations of the world are going to be blessed. It's because of you that the world is actually going to know me. And again, if you want to look at Moses, look at Exodus, if you want to look at David, look at Second Samuel, it's really interesting to read these with the understanding of a covenant and not just as a story. Um, so I encourage you to read them, but I said on Thursday to Nathan, to Matt, I said I'm in a major dilemma. All of these are really good. How, do I do all of them? Do I, like, break people up into groups and get them to look at one each then we get back together? Like, how do we actually do this? Um, and their wisdom, and I think God's wisdom, was to look at Abraham and to look at the new covenant. Um, and from looking at those two, will give you an understanding of covenant as a whole, and then people can look at the other covenants in their own time if they want to. So, Abraham. Abraham, you'll find the covenant story in Genesis 12, 15 and 17. 12 is where God says, Abram, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave all that you know and I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. And so Abraham does. Abraham is set apart. He goes and starts going with his wife and all his cattle and with his nephew to the land that God, God shows him. Um, and then we get to what I want to read. And I actually want to read all of Genesis 15 because this is where God actually puts the covenant in place. I will read it and please feel free to read it long. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is that person of Damascus. And Abram continued to say, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Then God took Abram outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then God said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he accredited it to him as righteousness. That's the part of the chapter that we normally stop at, so we're going to keep on going, okay? So he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can it be that I can gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The, then birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
than the Lord said to Abram. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your father in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking braze with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the rivers of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, to the land of the Kazakhs and all these other people. I don't like reading names. And that's the end of 15. So we see there that God is making a covenant with Abram. And not only is God making a covenant with Abram, but he actually tells Abram what's going to happen to some of his descendants. He says you're going to be enslaved. And if you keep on reading, you find out that they get enslaved in Egypt. And it is about 400 years before Moses comes and actually rescues the people. And they come back to this land through Joshua. Um, And so this is a covenant that's being made. Now, we might not like to talk about animals being cut in half and being put in either side, um, but it's really important to realise that that's actually what happened. Because this covenant is not just, hey, yep, I promise that I will, like, it's not a a small promise. A covenant is actually a very serious oath that is being made. And in God's mind and in biblical times, a covenant has to have blood connected to it as a sign of the covenant actually being sealed. So normally, if you're making a covenant with another nation or another person, which is how often covenants were used in the Bible, it would be whoever had the power, it would be the one with the lesser power that would make the first sign of, yes, I will agree to this covenant. In this case, it's God who makes the first move. And that is huge. It is God that says, I will make a covenant with you. It is God who actually comes down and walks between the animals. And it's God who actually seals the covenant. Abram has a part to play, but God does the majority of it. And that is huge and amazing to think a holy God would do that for a man, for the one he created. If we keep on looking in chapter 17 of Genesis, this is where the covenant is confirmed again. And this is what the beginning of Genesis 17 says. So Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So again, God comes and says, I'm going to confirm this covenant. He goes on and says to Abram that I'm going to change your name and you're not going to be known as Abram anymore. You're going to be known as Abraham because you're going to be the father of many nations. In chapter 17 of Genesis is where um, God says to Abraham, what is going to be a sign of this covenant is circumcision. So every male in your line is going to be circumcised and that's going to be a sign of the covenant. 
again, blood actually is involved in confirming the covenant. It's not something we like to think about, but if you cut that part of the body, blood will come out. So blood confirmed the covenant again. And so Abram has Isaac. Isaac becomes the promised son that God talked about. And then Isaac had Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And what we'll find is that this covenant that was made with Abraham gets confirmed again and again and again. Gets confirmed to Isaac. In Genesis 26.3, God says to Isaac, Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. And then when Jacob comes along, God says to Jacob in Genesis 28, There stood above it the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread it to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offsprings. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you till I've done what I promised. So not only did God make a covenant with Abraham, he confirmed it again with Isaac, he confirmed it again with Jacob. But what we need to remember is, which God already told Abraham, it was a long time until this covenant actually came to be, even the land covenant. The fact that this is going to be your land did not happen in any of their lifetimes. So I just think that's an interesting aside that sometimes God's promises takes time and isn't just, God promised me this and it's going to happen tomorrow. This took 400 plus years of slavery and then more, for, you know, 40 years of wandering in the desert before they actually entered the promised land, which was the fulfillment of the covenant that was made all the way back to Abraham. So Abraham didn't see it, Isaac didn't see it, Jacob didn't see it, Joseph didn't see it, Moses never saw it took a long time, but God fulfilled his promise, fulfilled his covenant. We go on and we will see again and again and again in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, these words are said, hey, I will be your people and you will be my God. And one of the laws that God put out in the Ten Commandments when he made the covenant with the Israelite people through Moses, was you will have no other gods before me. That was one of the things that he was really big on. But what happened is Israel broke the covenant. God never did, but Israel did. And I'd love to go through it all, but we don't have time to. Um, But you will find all through Judges, you will find all through Kings, you will find all through the Old Testament that the Israelite people turned their back on God that they did not keep their side of the covenant, which was to worship God and to worship him only, to be his people and his people alone. They took on wives that they shouldn't have, they took on gods that they shouldn't have, and they actually broke the covenant that was made. And then they came back to God. 
those who, just to give you a preview, if you head over to your Activate group in a fortnight's time, you might be looking at a time where God's people come back to him in Nehemiah and they go, oh, yes, we forgot your decrees. We forgot what your law said. Yes, we believe we're going to come back. We will do this. We will keep this promise. And it doesn't just happen in Nehemiah. It happens again and again. The God's people realize their mistake they get taught the law again. They get told the covenant that has been made and they've come back and said, yes, God, we will keep our deal. We will keep our covenant with you. And that might last a couple of generations if they were lucky. And then they forgot about God and started to worship other gods and they broke the covenant again. So here we have a God who's the one who started the covenant, who said, I want to know you, and because of that, I'm going to actually do all that I can to have a relationship with you. But a covenant goes two ways. So this is my deal, this is your deal. And again and again, the Israelites broke their heart of the deal. The reason that they had to sacrifice and give offering again and again was a way of the forgiveness of sins for the breaking of the covenant. And so blood had to be shed so the covenant was back in place so they could have another go at it. And they had another go at it and they had another go of it. And what we find all through up until Jesus is that they could never keep it for very long. But have a think about it. We probably couldn't either. If you just take the Ten Commandments, people say there's probably about 631 laws and ways of doing things that the Israelites were meant to keep in terms of not just law but like how to even wash yourself and like all the things that they were told to do to keep themselves holy and pure. But if you just take the Ten Commandments, we couldn't keep them. Like if we look at them and I'm not, you know, and I would say this to anybody, not just, but nobody can keep all the Ten Commandments. We can't do it. And so the covenant was broken, and it was broken again and again and again. But as we know God's heart, and God's heart is always for restoration, God's heart is always for relationship. And so because of that, God came and said, I will make a way so this covenant can never be broken. And you know the best way of doing that? Removing these humans from their equation. And so he said, instead of there being a my side and a your side, I'm going to make it a my side and a my side. I'm going to make it so that the covenant agreement is one that is actually holy and pure. And God actually talked about this multiple times in the Old Testament. He talked about a new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, he says, The days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be a covenant like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Writing the laws on their hearts and on their minds 
Doesn't that sound a tiny bit like the Holy Spirit? And what is the job of the Holy Spirit? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to actually remind us of the things of God, to actually teach us and remind us of how to live the life that God wants us to. So instead of it being written on stone, which is where the Ten Commandments were written, these laws will be written on the people's hearts. And so the Israelite people knew that a new covenant was coming. They knew that the old one would be superseded by a new one. And that new one was completely and utterly completed by Jesus. Luke 22, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry when he is having communion, the last supper, the Passover meal with his disciples. And this is what he says. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he said to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus is actually using the word, the new covenant. Because what happened was, Jesus came and died on the cross. His blood was shed, and that blood fulfilled the old covenant and brought in the new covenant. Jesus' blood covers our sin and was God's way of bringing the two sides of the covenant together. So now God says... What is your half as a human being? Your half is to believe in who my son is. Jesus has done the rest. He has completed it. And so this is a covenant that is a long-lasting covenant. This is a covenant that God actually had in mind at the very beginning. You see, Jesus wasn't just like a plan B, plan X, nothing else had worked, so Jesus was coming. Jesus was always the plan. And the Old Testament was all about setting people up so they could see and know the new Jesus that was coming. The whole tabernacle, the whole temple, the way the temple was set up, having a high priest, having blood being the symbol of forgiveness of sins, all points to Jesus who is perfect and is now our high priest who allows us access to God. And so the great thing that we have that the Israelite people did not have in the Old Testament times is that we get to live in the freedom of the new covenant. And the freedom of the new covenant means we don't need to keep check to make sure that we're keeping lots of laws. We actually get to rest in the fact that Jesus' blood actually covers our sins. Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 8 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, if you lived in the old covenant, you could think, ah, I've actually, I'm part of this covenant relationship working because I've got to keep, my, keep the laws and if I do that well enough, then I'm like, good on for me. But God makes it really clear that that, well, and humankind makes it really clear that that was never going to work. And so we are saved through grace, not by works, so that not one of us can say, aren't I great that I have a relationship with God? All of us can say, it is God alone that allows me to know him. And how fantastic is that, that God has actually done it all? You see, if we could have kept the old covenant, Jesus would not have had to come and die. It's only because we never could keep the old covenant, it was never going to work, but was meant to point the way to how Jesus was, that Jesus, his body being broken, his blood being shed, the things that are needed for a covenant to be sealed, actually happened so that we get to live in the freedom of the new covenant. The sad thing is, we often think we live in the old covenant. And we often find ourselves going, oh, if only I read the Bible more, if only I worked harder, if only like, and not realise that we read our Bible more because we're so in love with Jesus. That we want a fellowship with his people because we see it as a good thing. Not because it wins us points or gives us salvation or helps us our, helps our sin, you know, we rebalance all the bad things we do with the good things that we do. We can so have that mindset as Christians even, let alone people in the world, where we think, oh, oh, well, I've given God this much and so it's okay that he doesn't have this. Or, oh, like I better, I better like repent 20 times for that thing that I've done just so God knows I'm really sorry. We actually belittle what Jesus has done belittle the new covenant when we don't actually embrace the freedom we've been given. Now, Paul in Romans would tell you, should you keep on sinning so grace can increase? Like, should we use our freedom to be able to just do whatever we want because Jesus will forgive us and so it doesn't matter? Paul makes it really clear, and I think our Holy Spirit within us would make it clear that that is actually so the wrong mentality that we do not abuse our freedom, but we use our freedom to live a life, an unburdened life, in the life that we live. And so I really hope that you've got an understanding of covenant and what is necessary for covenant and a bit about um, how Abraham worked and a bit about the New Testament. But what I more want you to walk away today knowing is that if you feel burdened, that is so not what God has for you. That the new covenant brings freedom. It brings freedom from sin, but it also brings freedom of having to work. Everything that we should do, we should do because of the love that we have for our Father. Because we are so grateful for the freedom that we have that we want more people to know about him that we are so in love with God and can't believe how much he loves us that we want to worship him with all our hearts. 
that we want to be generous and give because of how generous God is, not because we think we're going to win brownie points by giving and hopefully that will mean that we'll be good enough. We will never be good enough. Israelites, the Old Testament shows that, the New Testament shows that, my whole life shows that we will never be good enough. The New Testament covenant says God knew you were never going to be good enough. He did it all. We believe and we trust and have faith and that is what actually allows us to have a relationship with God because God has done it all. He has shed the blood. He has made the covenant. It is one that cannot be broken because it's not actually anything to do with us. We get to embrace it and live in the freedom of it. And so I pray and hope that as we look at covenant more, that that is what you will find again and again. And that is what God will remind you again, that he has done it all. And so let's live in the freedom that God's given us. Let's not be burdened by the things that hold us back. And so what I want us just to do now is just to sit in silence for a moment and just lay down whatever burden you may be carrying that you know is not from God. If there's some things that you've been doing because you think it will make you better in the eyes of God, when he sees us, he sees Jesus and you can't get any better than that. So let's just spend a few moments just between us and God and lay down anything that's stopping you from living in the freedom that God has for you. Lord God, your word tells us that you have life in abundance for us, God. Your life that is a life that is lived in freedom and not lived in being bound, God. And we are so grateful for that. We are so grateful, God, that Jesus completed the covenant in such a way so that it is whole and it is complete, God. We are so thankful for his blood that covers us, that when you look at us, God, you see Jesus. I want to thank you so much, God, that we can know you that we can pray for you to you right now and know that you listen, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that does write your law on our hearts and on our minds and does lead us and guide us to the things of yourself, God. And so we want to come again today, God, and we want to just bask in your freedom. We want to live in your freedom, God. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would just show us this week what your freedom looks like that you will remind us again and again, God, that you did it all and help us to be in awe and wonder, God, because what more can we do but say we so love you, we are so grateful and you are so worthy of it all, God, because you've done it all so that we can know you. Amen.